Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. I am here with Michelle Ostrowski. She is a thriving businesswoman and an accountant. And we're going to dive into a conversation about the one life that you get. I know there's a lot of theories about the afterlife and all of that. And maybe we're supposed to sacrifice so that we can have a great afterlife. But the only thing we really know for sure is that we have this life. And so we're going to talk about what you do with it. And while you all are listening, I'd like you to think about what you're doing with this one life. And is it something that you're really proud of? I don't know. I know I wasn't always proud of my life, but I have turned it around over the years and very happy to be making the most of this one life that I have. Hello, Michelle. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm super happy to be here. I am super excited that you are here. Before we get started, do you want to tell people a little bit about what it is that you do? Yeah. So I am an accountant here in Northern California. I own my own practice. This last year, we grossed $1.1 million in sales. I have seven employees. I'm very happy, very proud of myself. I started out as a receptionist, added and responded to an ad in the newspaper when people still put ads in the newspaper for a receptionist, started at an accounting firm and very quickly got a knack for it and went back to school, got my degree and then purchased the practice in 2014 while I also partnered with someone else. My partner passed away in August of 21 and with the succession agreement that we had. So I am now 100% owner of the business. And it was that pivotal moment that was very sad and you know still heartbreaking and still going through the trauma of that, that kind of launched me into saying, what am I going to do now that it's all mine? Like now it's 100%. I'm responsible for all these people, all these vendors. What am I going to do? And that kind of launched me into where I'm at now in my career and, and helping other people and, and kind of building what, what my brand is and what I want in life. Awesome. 
And so it wasn't always this way. You didn't always have complete control over your life, your livelihood, all of that. You have a background that is what one might call very constricting. (laughs) Yeah, so I was raised in, I will say, a high-control religious group, or like I call it, an outright cult that controlled, especially with women, everything that they said and did, the types of entertainment. I mean, basically bite, bite model, the, the, your belief system, your information, your time, your energy, everything is controlled by the group, including the, the no divorce rule <laughs> without adultery. And so I was in the, an extremely abusive relationship. Everything you could possibly imagine happened, happened. It raised my three kids in, in that. And every time I would go to the church elders, they would say, you need to be more submissive. You need to, you know, be like Bible example X, Y, Z. And it keeps you twisted in this mind game because you're, you have the cognitive dissonance. You don't know, you know what's right and wrong, but at the same time, you're looking to someone else to give you the authority to act on your own life. And there was a pivoting moment for me that I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. Well, before we get there, I mean, I think religion in general does this. It gives us, gives people a guideline. In theory, it should be a guideline, right? Of how you should live your life so that you reach salvation of whatever it might be. At the high control religious groups, aka cults, you you have to conform no matter what your gut is telling you, no matter what is going on with inside of you, you are told that you have to conform. What is it that you lose if you don't conform to their rules, their guidelines? What is on the table of them taking away from you. So in in my experience and the other nine million that are in this organization, you're taught that everyone outside is is bad and is going to be destroyed. So you're not allowed to make friendships or relationships outside. So imagine taking a three-year-old, you know, no birthday parties, no after school activities, no extracurricular activities within the school. So no, you know, science club or anything like that. You so you have no friends outside. You have no family outside because if you have family that's not in that religion, you isolate from them also. So as the moment that you leave, what they say is we, it's very much like being put on timeout is what they say. It's like, we will not talk to you. We will not associate. We cut off all ties with you until you come back. So you are ousted and your whole support system is gone. You have no friends. You have no family. You have nowhere to turn. And the people that are outside, you never build relationships with them. So you have no one to go to. So that's right. the big pull of keeping you there. Because when you leave, you leave everything. And when I left, I have not spoken to my family in seven years. Yeah. And they will, if they saw me on the street, they would run the other way. And I can only imagine the heartbreak that it feels like these people that are supposed to love love you, you know instinctually you're supposed to love you, 
what it must feel like for them to turn their backs on you. Now, when you were you able to work with people that were outside of the religion? Sure. But you but it ended it when you clocked out. So you can you can have a job and work secularly. And even that they don't encourage higher education. So I when I went back to school and got my degree was kind of already looked down upon, except that most of the time that I spent studying was on company time. That was part of the agreement that I had. So I was able to pass it off as, well, my boss is paying for me to go to school and I'm doing it on company time. So there's not really, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not really do, you know, it's, it's for my work. And so that was kind of how I was able to get around being able to get my degree, which higher education, they look down upon because once you start looking at what's out, out there in the world, you kind of see that what they have is just, it's, is garbage. It's not, it's not true. And I, I consider what happened to me being raised in that religion and the way I was treated through the 40 some odd years I was in as spiritual abuse because they they held the truth of what was what what the Bible really was going what was really going on in the Bible and what their behind the scenes doctrine was. They 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 abused that. They abused the power and they took away from me what I, which to me was a belief in a higher power of an Mm. an omni god i don't if there is then he's gonna have to (laughs) she's gonna have to come up with a better way of showing me that he exists and i really don't have what i call the bandwidth to even find out and study anymore because it just it gets shoved down your throat so much to tell you how you're not good enough that when you walk away exhausted you just don't want to hear about it anymore and i'm yeah Yeah. seven years seven years later i'm still there i just don't don't care to don't care to know Yeah. And and that is completely understandable. One of the things that I noticed is even before you left, there was this step that you took towards living a life that was better and more true for you by getting that education, by taking one step and you figured out a workaround, which is a powerful be the wolf quality, right? I need to do what's right for me and how am I going to do that within the constraints of my current right. situation? And so right. that's a, a super powerful first step. And as you took that step, what was what was the, I mean, you knew that you had to figure out a workaround. And what was kind of going through your mind at that time? You wanted the education, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, for for sure. I mean, having had there's a status behind it, but there's also the 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 opening of horizons and thought patterns that are just, that have always appealed to me. My my goal was not to leave a religion. My goal was to find out a way to support me and my kids without having to rely on the second income that my ex-husband was bringing in because I had tried to separate at a certain period of time, but we, me and the kids, we were, we were starving. Right. You know, and I had, and, and, and I was like, I never want to put myself in a position like that. So when we reconciled mainly because the church is doing, but also because what am I, what am, how am I going to support these three kids? 
I just said, I need to figure out a way to earn more income so that I don't have to rely on this. And so when the, as that was going on, the abuse also started to heighten. And my thought was, if it gets so bad that I do end up leaving, the religion will have my back. They, the elders in the congregation will come to my aid. They will, they will see what is going on. And I will say, I can't do anymore because you can, you can separate for extreme abuse. You just are, you're never allowed to get remarried. So I was, I don't care anymore. I can't, I, I can't do this anymore. And he was escalating. So my thought was, I'll go to them. I've kicked him out of the house. X, Y, Z has happened and they're going to have my back. And when they didn't have my back, that's when I said, oh, okay. So you're part of the abuse too. That's what like my aha moment that right. you go out and try to convert other people, but the people that are in, you are torturing and literally killing them from the inside out. And I just put my hands up and said, I need a break from all of it. So I didn't go into it planning on leaving a whole support system and a whole belief system. But when right. I realized, wait a, wait a second, this man like did this, this, and this to me, which he later told them, yes, I, that you know, it wasn't a lie, it wasn't made up. He did confess to it in the confines of the religion, you know, and they didn't, they didn't go to and go to the police when I went to the police to try to support me in his confession. They were like, oh, it's really, a, you know, even though they are mandate reporters. So it just got to a thing where like, wait a, wait a minute, this is just a way to control people. So I actually, those steps that I was taking early on was not only to leave an abusive relationship, but also to leave an abusive religion. Yeah. And the most interesting part about when you are, when you, you be the wolf you are, whether you know it or not, is mm -hmm. I always taught my children, I didn't want them to be where they were and being raised in a religion based on me making them do it. So I always made them come to their own conclusion on stuff. Like they're telling you, you can't do this, this, and this. Like you can't read the Harry Potter books or you can't watch this movie or this kind of music. I would say, what do you think? And I would always let, and so when I told my kids, like, you know, I feel really bad because I left and they left either before me or right during the same time I did. They said, mom, you trained us to leave this organization. You trained us by letting us use our own brains. So I didn't realize that's what I was doing. I just wanted it to be something because it doesn't make sense to me that mm. God wants you to serve him because you want to, but they're forcing you to, because if not, they're going to take everything from you. So how does, how does that work? <laughs> so right. I think that whether I was conscious of it or not, the steps that I took was a whole package of like this, none of this is right. And I just, I did it until I could get away. And then when I did, I never looked back. Yeah. I think one of the really big be the wolf qualities and, and you're right. So many of us are doing it and being it within whatever level we can at the time, long before we're really fully aware of it. We're taking steps. So you are looking at your situation. And one of the things about being the wolf is like you're doing what is right for your or organism, like the organism of you. You're taking those steps to do what is right. 
And so you're in a situation where financially it's not viable for you to take care of your children on your own and take care of yourself on your own. So you were you were able to reconcile for a little while, but you were taking these steps of getting the education so you could make more money, so you could be independent. And it's kind of no surprise. I understand a lot about the unconscious mind or the subconscious mind. It's no surprise that the abuse would escalate during that time because sure. I'm sure underneath it all, he felt that you were slipping away, that there was you were beginning to make your own choices. So the he didn't have control. And you had this backup plan. And when you realized that that backup plan was going to fail you, and I think a lot of people, to various degrees, when they really are willing to make a change, a really big change, it's because that that moment that the pain of staying where you are becomes so much greater than the pain of actually letting it all go. Yeah. And I'm talking about pain. I mean, it's it's very easy to take someone that's saying words about what's happened to them and disassociate it from the feelings behind it and the emotions that go in it. Because when I walked away. I spent two years every day researching my own belief system outside of the religion, which they'd never let you do. Research the, you know, finding you un, un <laughs> brainwashing myself. And it was painful. It was yeah. excruciating. It was, you know, sobbing and crying and, and, slowly trying to, I, I didn't want to be like so many people in the ex community of that religion where 10, 15 years down the road, they're still talking about it. They're still agonizing over it. I wanted to figure out how to let go of it and replace it with things that were going to serve me. Cause I don't want to be labeled as a survivor of domestic violence, a side, a, a survivor of, of child abuse, a survivor of, you know, being an ex-cult member. I wanted to be me and I wanted that to be pain-free. So it was very extremely excruciating. And it's like the analogy of when you have a book and it's your book and you're writing in it, at a certain point, you close it and you put it on a top shelf. It that Those pages no longer serve me. I can still pull it down and flip through it and feel all the emotions again of what it felt like to have my mom turn her back on me and side with my ex when the police called him and said, you have an allegation against you of rape. And she's on the phone with them saying that I'm crazy, it, even though she was there and heard him say that he did it. Th those are those are painful things that will never change and I can't fix, but I don't have to sit with the book in my hand every day and flip through the pages and, and cut my fingers on it. I can put it away and say, this is who I am now. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and I go, okay, what's my, what's my struggle? What's my pain? I kind of go, eh, I'm, I'm good. I don't have any. So why would I ever go back to that? Right. And one of the things that I think a lot of people do when they've been through trauma, they've been through these situations where Everything is not the way they ever wanted it to be. 
It's like once you get rid of something, there's space in the closet, right? So what are you going to fill it up with? And so many people will connect with people that have like wounds, like pain, and they will bond over that. And so the reality is, even though they're not still in the situation that's abusing them, they're talking about it. They're reliving it. They're still burning those neural pathways and their body, their nervous system is reliving the abuse. It's reliving the situation. So I think it is very important when you make a choice like that to leave whatever it might be or let anything go that is not serving you, that's not what you want. You've got to become aware of what you want to put in its place. And that process is not always so easy because we have those habits of sliding back into certain things in certain ways. And for you, I know one of the things like sliding back into that place where somebody's going to support you, somebody is going to help you that you're not all on your own 100% with only yourself to rely on. And mind you, you grew up in a situation where they did not teach you how to do that because if you were could be self-reliant, they wouldn't have control over you anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when you're when you were offered to buy the business, buy into the business, and you ended up with a partner that was the old owners that was he was connected to. How did that yeah. come about? And so I think of this as those steps to fully like blooming into your self-sufficient, independent, most powerful self. And we can't always do it in one quick swoop. Because <laughs> like you said, you spent two years trying to re like just slough off that old stuff and reformulating who you wanted to be. Um, yeah. And so this next step, when you got to actually buy into the business, tell us a bit, a bit about how that came about. Well, what's very interesting is the ba- the late the back layer of this is that they teach you when you're in a high control group is that or even any religion that God shows you the way, right? And that sometimes you don't have to do anything and things will just play out. Some people say that that's God. Today I don't necessarily agree with it. I I do believe there are some energies going on. But it was a thing like, you know, I want you to go back to school because I want to sell you the practice. And I thought he was kind of young still, so I still had plenty of time. And then he just said, look, I was talking to my golf partner and my golf partner uh, also has a small business and he's 10 years younger than me and he wants to travel more. So I think that in you buying the business is great, but it would be good to have a partner. That way you guys can go on vacation and someone still takes care of the clients. And I said, okay, well, you know, I'll meet with him. And I met with him and we just kind of, we hit it off. Like our, our ideas of, of besides wages, it's not about that, besides how to treat employees. Um, (laughs) But you know, like um, when we decided on the logo, you know, you, you like this color? Sure. Not a problem. You know, what about this? Everything was just, there was no bickering and fighting and problems that you do find sometimes in partnerships. So I said, yeah, let's, let's do this. So I bought my 
boss. I bought him out. The other guy came in and merged his practice with mine. So our book of business, we kind of equaled out through, you know, a couple thousand dollars here or there. And we partnered in 2014. So what was interesting about that is, is I didn't do any of that. Like I went to school, I was approached, Hey, you need to buy the business. Hey, I found you a partner. Hey, go and meet with them. And according to the belief system, it was, okay, I haven't really done anything. I'm not going against anything. So this must be the direction I'm supposed to take. And so I, you know, and I got a little bit of pushback from my family mainly because it was a large amount and I come from nothing. I was born and raised on the worst part of town. We ate chili beans for weeks at a time when a truck driver came with some kidney beans or whatever. I mean, we were poor, always poor, always never had anything. Everything was hand-me-down or, you know, from the Goodwill. And that's fine. They, we we survived. It wasn't a, it's no big deal. But this was a huge amount. And it was something that I could, it was in, in for a lot of money. So I got a little pushback from that. And it wasn't until after I did the deal that there was a a whole thing at one of the meetings that we had about being unequally yoked or unequally yoked with an unbeliever kind of thing like you like you shouldn't be married to someone that doesn't believe but you also shouldn't be in business with someone that didn't believe and I and that it really like shocked me I was like oh my gosh did I just do something I wasn't supposed to do <laughs> because here's you know everything lined up and I didn't really have to do anything and now my name's on the door but I was like, ah, you know, what What possibly could he have me do? We're just doing people's taxes for <laughs> Did you? Was, yeah. Did you have any fears when all of a sudden you heard that? Were you scared at all? I I was. I was more afraid of repercussions. Right. There was like, oh, oh my gosh, are they going to, you know, they have this way of building this like tattletale system in there too. So you start like not getting invited and included in certain things. And then they're pulling you in the back and having a talk with you and everybody's watching. So then the rumor mill kind of pecks at you too. So I was like, oh, man, you know, I'm just trying to do the right thing here and, and trying to survive. Nobody knows my, you know, what's going on behind the scenes except these men that knew, but they were very easy to brush off as long as we were all still compliant. So yeah, there was a lot of fear in that too. But at the same time, I was like, well, it's too late now. Like, yeah, I got a, I got a loan out for quite a bit of money here to pay for this, you know? So right. it was a lot for me to do, except just try to, it became very clear to me the more that I was involved in this, it became very clear to me it wasn't about having a relationship with God because you couldn't get to God because there were so many rules and the depression was so much on from all those said reasons that you couldn't just sit and have a conversation with God because it was, you know, what's this person going to think? How are you going to be viewed? You got to you should be doing this, this, and this. They're going to come over and talk to you or, you know, it was... So, yeah, there was a lot of fear, but more for what the what the repercussions were going to be. Yeah, it's interesting. I think about 
you know, what you describe as far as all of the pieces lining up, it's like some people call it flow and some people think, yeah, exactly. That's how God works when you're living your truth, when you're being the wolf, whatever it is that everything just lines up. If there's an obstacle, if there's something hard, it's because you have to learn something or you need to pivot directions or something. And so, yeah, you followed, you followed exactly what they told you. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden here, we told you this, but now we have to take it back because this thing that worked out so nicely for you is wrong and you're wrong. Yeah. Did you, well, there's always that side, there's always that two sided, like they, and, and I learned that at a very early age from my parents is that you can use any scripture to manipulate and control someone. You can use it to say no instead of using it to grow. And that's how I was raised. So when I saw that, I was like, this is just, this is too coincidental that everybody in my life that's involved in this is. Right. Well, and two, it's that thing like, Imagine there is God and this God is showing you here. Let me give you this flow of this beautiful thing. And let me show you another reason why you're not in the right place. And so it starts. Yes. Well, and that's a couple of things happened right after I left. One of them was that my daughter was diagnosed with brain cancer. And I had left, my boys had left, and I had met someone else. And after that, I would say a good six months, seven months after we got this diagnosis. And where I was at that day when I found out with the support system that I had was exactly where I needed, where we all needed to be to make sure that she was safe and went through it. Because so, had we had been in their religion, had we had been with the type of family that I, that we, that I have, it would have been a, just a devastating experience for all of us. And she was also out at that point? Yeah, she had left earlier. She left when she was okay. like 19, 20. So in, she, she called BS on it earlier than us. She was a little bit smarter. Yeah, she was already out. And I had asked her, like, do you want your dad to know? Do you want your grandmother to know? And she's like, please don't. Like, no, this is my life. I'm an adult. I don't want anyone to know. But just the support system that I had. And it's funny because you think, oh, this is a religion. This is what they do. Like, they help humanity. This would have been perfect for it. It actually was the opposite. And it just lined up, like, from, so, like, like you said, if there is a God and he's saying this is not the safe place for you to be then he absolutely guided it to be exactly where i needed to be for at least when that happened yeah yeah it's that's a lot to take in and thank goodness they everybody was out and you set you laid the groundwork you laid the belief system for them to be able to get out and not have it be it sounds like not have it be as difficult as it was for you. Right. Well, yeah. and I would say, I, I say this often, that if my children were still in and they believed, I would play the game because I could not fathom not having them. 
my extended family, for whatever reasons that we have, I don't think that we, that I miss them as much as I would if my children, because my children were, are my everything. So them coming out made it a lot easier because I wasn't completely alone. But if I was, you know, out and they wouldn't talk to me and they started having grandchildren that I would never see, I couldn't do it. And so if they weren't going to come out, I would play the game and go back in. Yeah. Be the, which thank goodness they're, (laughs) thank goodness they're not. (laughs) Well, and the other thing is they, they left before you. So you were breaking the rules a little bit by even associating with them. Exactly. Because you were doing, you were being the wolf. You were doing what was true and right for you. And so as you moved into eventually this partnership you were in dissolved, (laughs) as we can say, Um, tell us what happened from that point. Your partner passed away. Is that correct? Yes. Passed away suddenly. It was unexpected and he was on vacation. And that's kind of when things shifted because then I had to make, but I had to make decisions. Obviously I was making most of the decisions. I was hiring, firing, paying the bills, all that kind of stuff. There wasn't, besides the tech support issue that I absolutely hated to do that he was doing. So I had to take that on a little bit, but then it became okay, so now it really is truly me, right? So I don't have anyone telling me how I'm supposed to live. I don't, I refute their kangaroo court system of how they live, make people live their lives. So now it's me, right? So now I've shedded all this void that I had and I've replaced it with things. You know, I went out and tried to find my people because I think that you need to go find your people and you can go into a lot of different rooms and go, oh yeah, these aren't my people either. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, not these, you know, so we've done everything, ballroom dancing, motorcycle riding, whatever there was, we we tried it all. And I found my people. And so then I say, how do I want to be? So since this is, you know, I can't blame anybody else. This is me. How do I want to be? And it was very clear to me at a very, very early on that I stayed in a relationship way too long because I could not afford to support myself. What would it look like if I didn't have to sacrifice so much just to earn a living to support me and my children? Because even though I was given this incredible opportunity to go to school and to buy the business, during busy season, I was down, I was the one here that was here from seven o'clock to midnight sacrificing my children's time with their mom to be able to just to get the overtime and bonus that was attached to it. When I actually was worth my wages without that extreme working condition, there was no reason for that. I shouldn't have been making $13 an hour with a huge carrot in front of me. I should have been paid a livable wage at the beginning. What would it have meant to me? Like what would it have meant to not have to, I remember this one specific time I was, everybody was doing couponing. And so I started couponing and I went up to the receptionist that we had at the time and I handed her all, like, I got all these shampoos for free and this deodorant. And then she had like four kids and she started crying and she said, you have no idea what this means to me. Hmm. And it hit me so hard at the moment that, and it's always carried with me 
why is it that anybody that works for us or for me should cry if they get a basic need handed to them? And that just, it's always hit me. Why should I be able to go out and go to dinner every night and never worry about what it is when the person that's working for me, making it possible for me to do that, can't buy the groceries that they need, or they have to drive out of the way to go to a discount place to get this thing and over here to get that thing just so they can afford to live. Yeah, I remember with my kids several times not going anywhere on the weekends because that gas money had to get me to work. Sorry, guys, we're walking. Sorry, guys, this is all I've got. Because if I go and take you anywhere, I will not get to work all five days. And that just seems so wrong to me. I can vacation where I want, when I want, take off as much time as I want. And one day I was watching TikTok video and there's this woman that lives, I want to see either Oregon or Washington, and they all make the same amount. And she gives, you know, unlimited PTO. And I was just, it just resonated with me. I said, oh my gosh, how do you do this? And the first thing that I did once I got my staff up was you're all getting a livable wage. You can take up as much time as you want and just add, started adding benefit after benefit after benefit because those little things don't change my life. I promise you I will still drive a nice car. I still will have a nice vacation. I will still pop a bottle of champagne whenever I want. But I know I don't have to feel guilty Monday morning when we're all talking about what we're doing because my staff can't afford their basic necessities. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. And I just have to take a moment because there are a lot of business owners out there that do not think that they can actually do that and survive in business. And the reality is that you can. And those of you that are out there looking for work and you need that kind of support, if you really, truly believe that you deserve it, it's totally 100% possible to find somebody, a boss that will provide it for you. I think sometimes some people will sabotage those situations, those really great situations, because deep down inside, they don't think they deserve it. But when you know that you deserve it, those jobs and those employers are out there. This is proof, people. <laughs> well, and it, and it was a big deal. It's like I had to put my money where my mouth was. I mean, I lived with three children in a house making $13 an hour with a $1,600 mortgage that I was left with, car payment and bills. Like it was a struggle. We had a big bag of rice and cheese quesadillas, and we did that for eight months. I have no problems going back to that. Like, I know what it's like. I know how to do it. I know how to, oh, can't pay the bills, cut the cable, yeah. cut this, cut that. I am willing to go down to living a different level of lifestyle if it means that we are all living it. I'm not, I cannot possibly in good conscience let these women, because most of them are women besides the family that I have working here, all women, all in situations where they got away from a relationship they didn't want to be in or, you know, or living on their own. And, and it's expensive or here it's in insane. California's insane. And you can't have, you know, Midwestern wages with California prices. It just doesn't work, you know, and I'm willing to cut back whatever I need to make sure. And, and I just 
tried it as a test and I added one thing on at a time. And I said, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm not going to wait for these folks to come and ask for a raise. I know what they're worth and they should be paid more. I have a, I have a set goal of how much we're all going to make or how much they're all going to make within a two year time. They don't know what it is. I know what it is and I know what that's going to mean for them. If they need to buy a new car, they can get credit. <laughs> they can apply for a loan for one because they, they, their wages will substantiate it. And I just tried it out and then said, well, obviously when you lose your partner, some of my clients, some of his clients left and we still did almost 200,000 gross more with this, with bringing on new clients and with losing those because it just, when you put it out in the universe and you take care of just the people, the people help you take care of your clients, your clients then have a good experience and they bring in and refer. It just works. And there's a lot of talk about PTO just being a unlimited PTO, just being a, a way for big bosses to not have to pay you if you leave. No, I want you to stay and I want you to take as much time as you need. If you're a woman and you have children, by the time you get take care of all your kids stuff during company time, you have no time for vacation right. because you've and you can't afford the vacation if you want to take it because you have no more time left. And each one of my policy says, if you don't take vacation at least two weeks a year, I will assign you a nonprofit organization to go to work at for two weeks, but you cannot be here. So find something to do with your time, go and enjoy your life, or I will find something for you to do. And they all have taken time, but it's funny because they all show up. Hey guys, we don't have much going on. You guys want, who wants to take off on Friday? No, I got some stuff to do. No, I want to make sure I get that done. Because if you take care of them, they're going to take care of you. And that's where the shift needs to be. Let's not look at our bottom line being dollars, but as being humans. Yeah, absolutely. That is one of the things that I've learned. I, I've had some great bosses. I've had some terrible bosses. Oh, and God. across the board, what I've seen is when you take care of your staff, they take care of you. And so now as an employer, especially an owner of a small business, it, and I love that you did it step by step, right? You tested one thing first and then you added another thing. You know, what's, what advice would you give the small business owner who wants to take good care of their employees, but they're so riddled with that financial scarcity fear? Well, the first thing that you have to do is know your numbers. So you have to reconcile your bank every month. You have to know how much money you have in your bank. You have to know much how much you've spent on XYZ. And then you can look at what you can add. The first step is something very simple. Like uh, I started with a cell phone allowance. These people text. <laughs> I can call them after hours. They, they sometimes will have to text a client. I prefer that they don't, but they were doing it. They were on call. So I said, you know what? I, on your W, on your wages, I'm going to give you $20 per paycheck for your cell phone usage. One little thing. And then I look at my bottom line. The next month it was, you're all getting a dollar raise, $2 raise, whatever I thought I could afford. Then the next step was, let's look at our health insurance, right? And then you just add and add. And then I added unlimited PTO. I'm, it's vacation time. It's summertime. We don't have a lot going on. I mean, we do, but it's not as busy as crunch time. When you come back, you have your paycheck. And it actually makes it easier for me. I don't have to hunt people down. I don't have, I don't have to worry about whether they're playing around at their desk or not. I'm going to pay them anyway. So they don't tend to have to play. 
they're not playing a game of getting you because you're not you're taking care right. of them. So they're not surfing the net. They're getting their job done because if they want to waste time, they can do it on their own time. Take the day off. No problem. Yeah. And so it just shifts the mentality of them. And sometimes they come in, oh, gosh, I'm sorry I'm later. Oh, I'm sorry I have this doctor's appointment. I'm like, hey, I'm not sorry. That's, that's life. That's what happens. Your work's getting done. Who cares? And it's a, mm -hmm. it's a different mentality for them, too. But I'd say that the first thing you have to do is you have to know your numbers. And as an accountant, of course, I'm going to say that. You can't make management right. decisions if you don't know your numbers. And be willing to cut something out of your life to make sure that they are taken care of. Because if you cut out today, it's an investment. It's the same thing if you take out a loan for new equipment. You're obviously going to pay your loan payment on the new equipment, but that's going to make your life better. It takes some of your cash flow to do that, but it's going to make your your job easier. So it's the same thing. You have to be willing to invest in your employees first and then let them, inve let them invest in you. Yeah, it's like I was... I use the phrase sometimes, don't choke the chicken. So if you're holding the chicken by its neck, it's probably not going to lay very many eggs. And the eggs it's going to lay aren't going to taste as good because of all the stress hormones. I don't know if, you, if you've ever had a regular egg from the store and you fried it up and, or you hard boiled or soft boiled it. And then you tasted it compared to like a free range, small yeah, farm it's totally chicken. It tastes so different. And so much of that has to do with the stress hormones and stuff that's flooding in the body. And if you are creating a work environment that is stressing people out like that, they're naturally, without even being aware of it, going to be trying to mitigate their, that stress, whether it be scrolling social media, whether it be staying out late and going to a bar after work, whatever it might be. But if you're creating an environment where the chickens are free range and they get good food to eat. They the, still lay the eggs. That's the great part. It's not like, oh, if still, I don't do this, yes. they're not going to lay eggs. They still lay the eggs. And the eggs taste better, so they're yeah. producing better quality eggs, which, yeah, for sure. you know, <laughs> makes it easier for everybody. Don't choke the chicken. <laughs> That's my new one now. <laughs> so I love that you are taking good care of your employees and you're still elevating your own business, like your business is doing better than it's ever done. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. So it yep. can be done. And there are places out there that, you know, that actually do this and treat people the way that you deserve to be treated. So tell me, how do people hire you? Because I know there are people out there that want to be working with companies that are taking good care of their people? How do people get in touch with you? Tell us all the things that you want to share with everybody. So to get in touch with me, my firm, my team, our website's the easiest way, which is tocaccounting.com. And there is a let's chat kind of thing. You send me a message. It comes directly to my email. You can even do it from your cell phone. You think you're texting, but it actually comes right to my email and then I can communicate with you from there. 
or you can email me. My name is spelled with one L. So it's Michelle at TOCaccounting.com. Awesome. Awesome. And for those of you that want to find, maybe you don't, maybe you don't work in accounting and I'm sure Michelle's staff is filled up anyway, but you are looking for a great career and you want some support in that. I have a free career guide out there that you can download. You can get from me. It's called five secrets. You need to switch to a great career. And you can get that at elevatefreegift.com. So if you are driving, do not do this. But otherwise, <laughs> open your browser up right now and type in elevatefreegift.com and you can get access to that free career guide. And if you are looking to connect with Michelle, type in tocaccounting.com. I am so excited that you shared your story with us here today. And if you were going to leave everybody with one piece of advice about living this life, you have this one life, right? Living this one life. What would you like to leave the people with? I think that if I had one piece of advice to give and the one that I wish that I would have taken much earlier is to not be afraid to blow up your life if it's not serving you. So many people stay where they're not supposed to be out of fear. And guess what? Life is scary whether you leave or not. And things are painful whether you stay where you're at or you move forward. It's just a different way of finding where you're supposed to be. And yeah. as soon as it's not serving you, and I, I don't mean that in being like a selfish way, but if you know that it's not serving you and you have more potential and you're stuck in a, any kind of situation where you are not being who you're supposed to be, don't be afraid to blow up your world because it all falls down just like you glitter on the ground. It's still beautiful. And then you'll be where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And, and it, you can get there a lot faster. I think sometimes when we stay where we're not supposed to be, you don't think of it as this terrible thing because every moment is like a tiny little paper cut. It's a yeah. tiny little paper cut. It's not so big. Like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a big wound if I leave. It's going to be so painful. I can handle this tiny little paper cut. But the thing is, is you have tiny little paper cuts constantly and that's constantly happening. Sometimes those wounds and those scars are way deeper in the long run and way harder to recover from than blowing up your life and taking the leap to towards what you really and truly deserve. And right. I am so glad that you have done that and that you get to share your story with us here today. Thank you. Thank so you so much. much. Oh, thank you for thank having me. Okay, everybody, thank you for watching and listening. And don't forget to get your Elevate free gift. And we will see you next time on Be the Wolf. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be the Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together, 
we can inspire others to be the wolf. <laughs>